we've looked in Luke so far uh, at the kind of preliminaries to, to Jesus' ministry and the very important preliminaries. Being born is reasonably important. Um, he's uh, been baptized. We've seen a, uh, even a, uh, this incident from when he was a child. And uh, also we mentioned the temptation in the wilderness. But last week, Jonathan started looking at Jesus' public ministry. And we're going to continue that today. And last week, Jesus was in Nazareth. Today, he's moved on to Capernaum. And here we start to see the stuff happening. If you know anything about Jesus, there is stuff that Jesus does throughout his uh, ministry. And we start to see it in full force. We get pretty much the whole lot today in this passage. Um, but right at the start, Luke is wanting to make a point here about something that lies behind the stuff, the healings, casting out demons, the teaching. There's one thing he wants to bring up right at the beginning. We could miss, but it's vital, and it's right at the start of this passage. So if you're in Luke 4, let's just read the first two verses here. It says this, Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There too, the people were amazed at his teaching. For he spoke with authority. So, what's people's response to Jesus here? What's, I'll, I'll throw it out to you. What, what, how do they respond? Amazement. They're amazed at Jesus' teaching. If you're a Christian, you'll know Jesus is amazing. That's a phrase we often use. Uh, he's amazing. Well, he amazed them here. But what amazes them here? Well, as we look through, it says they were amazed at his teaching. But again, I don't want to be too interrogating here. But what was it about his teaching? Did he, ha- was he, did he have some particularly good jokes in that talk that, that week? Did he, did he have some nice visual aids in his teaching? No, it's more specific on that. He was, they were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And it seems to be the authority that, that, that brings this sense of amazement from people. Now again questioning what's going on here. What was it then about Jesus' teaching that they instantly said he's speaking with authority? I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but when you see someone you think, that person had a real authority about them, often it is very difficult to describe and define what that authority actually is. What makes this person authoritative and this person not authoritative? I mean, was Jesus shouting his entire talk? Was that, was that why? Did, was he very strong on application? There's lots of finger pointing. You must do this. Oh, he's authoritative. Well, I doubt it. I doubt that would be the case. It seems that there was something in what he was saying that went beyond confidence and wasn't arrogance, but it was very hard to pin down. And so they could say, well, I saw Jesus the other day. He spoke with authority. Well, what did that mean? Well, I'm not not sure, but there was a sense that he was carrying himself in that way. And in my experience, this is exactly how authority works. Let's put the question to you. What is it? What is authority? Now, there's different ways you could ask it. You could, uh, uh, you could say it's a position that you're given. So, for example, a, a policeman. Where's Zeke gone? He's in here. Zeke, look at that. Even, even the way he did that, it's authority. Police, maybe it's your job. Maybe the minute you go into that job, you're, you get authority. Now, I've met people, however, on, on the other side of that, I've met police people who don't carry themselves with authority. Even if they have a high position in an in a occupation like that, you, you just, they don't seem to have that thing about them. On the other hand, I've met people who have no job at all who you hang on their every word because they seem to carry themselves with a sense of authority. So I don't think it's that. Well, is it something then you're born with? Is authority like a natural charisma or an extroverted nature? Some people have it, some don't. If you're on one side, you're on one side. If you're on the other, you're on the other. You can't change. We can put this in 
more Christian terms, maybe it's a specific gifting for some people. So you could think very, and uh, this must be in there somewhere, the gift of leadership for leaders. They carry themselves with authority. Everyone else, this is, we don't need to worry about authority so much. Now, I must admit, for me, this puzzle may have been a puzzle, but it's something I couldn't care one little bit about for most of my life. I had no concern about authority. Authority was never something I aspired to, something that I never really thought about very much until I actually needed to exercise authority. Then it was very different. And that first came when I became a secondary school teacher. About eight years ago, I wandered into my classroom for the first time, and my job, as far as I could see it, was to stamp my authority on 300 students of various ages who had come through the door. Now, I had a, I'd, I'd had a reasonably good training. You know, those teachers, who's a teacher here or has anything to do with the teaching profession? Okay, I'm going to mention teaching quite a lot, and you guys will know exactly what I'm saying. Others, hopefully, it will get through to you in your world as well. But I'm going for my experience here. I, I had a pretty good experience of my training, PGCE, um, and I'd, uh, I'd got... Um, I'd got my degree from Birmingham University. So there I was, standing there in front of these kids. Degree. Employed by Samuel Council. I even had the brown corduroy jacket. It was saying, <laughs> I am a teacher, obey me. <laughs> they didn't obey me at all. Not, well, not one of them obeyed me, I found out quite quickly. And I, I'd assumed that the misbehaviour of my placement was because, ah, he's not a real teacher. And once that was sorted, everything would be fine. Once I was given authority... I'd have authority. That, that wasn't the case in the slightest. And at that point, the question of authority became very important because I had to learn how to carry myself with authority. I had to learn, in a sense, for, just like Jesus here, for people, kids to go, we're amazed today. Mr. Meller taught with authority. I had to do that. Otherwise, I'd have had the shortest teaching career this world has ever seen. It was important. It was necessary for me. Now, I'd, I'd look back now And I'd say that I had a reasonably successful teaching career. And the strange thing was, at some point, a line was crossed. So, by the end of my teaching career, I could walk into a room, and it was said, Mr. Meller spoke with authority. I don't want to go the ins and outs of this, but if I said something, it happened. It really did happen. Now, on occasion, it didn't happen. There were were blips along the way. But there was a line I crossed somewhere. I, I had authority given to me. I wasn't carrying myself with authority. And suddenly, I walk in a room. Everyone sorts themselves out. That's interesting to me. I found that very interesting, reflecting on it. But actually, God challenged me as I learned that lesson in my job about authority in my spiritual life. Because you see... Authority in our spiritual lives are necessary for all of us as Christians. We all need to carry ourselves with a sense of godly authority. Not just if you're a leader or aspiring to be a leader. Every one of us who's in Jesus. Think about it for a second. Throughout the New Testament, think of the times we are addressed in terms that assume our authority. Romans 8.37, quite a famous verse. We are more than conquerors. So you're a conqueror, you've got to have authority over those that you've conquered. Here's a verse, I, I want to stick it in your head, because in, in a sense I'm going to come back to this one over and over again. Romans 5.17, Paul says we're called to reign in life. To reign in life. Nothing to do with things from the sky. Reign, that's authority position. Life is not meant to crush us so that we're its slave. We reign in life. That's an authority position. In fact, Other verses in the New Testament would say that even after we die, what will we be doing with God? This is another sermon, but it needs to be mentioned. What will we be doing with him? We'll be reigning with him. 
Authority is something, as we're going to see, that God has built into us that we should be developing in a right way as humans and particularly as Christians. And I'd say, therefore, it is vital that we get our heads around the authority we possess and we learn how to use that authority in our Christian lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I want to pray before we go any further because I think this area is... One, it's vitally important. Two, it's a potential minefield. Because I know, and I know this because I know myself, and you might think I'm not like you. Everyone's a little bit like everyone else, aren't they? Kind of. Um, that sometimes I think authority comes, you think, no, I don't. don't this is authority is something about it we don't like. It's in our fallen nature from Adam and Eve. And I want to pray for us that we, we hear what needs to be heard today and we can carry authority properly. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for your model that you give us. And thank you for your spirit that enables us to live the example you set in so many ways. Lord, I want to just ask for grace for all of us as we hear this. I pray, God, for for those of us who had trouble with authority before, both in our thinking or maybe we've exercised it and it hasn't gone very well. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you'd help us to be able to reign in life as you intend us to, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, be with us. Amen. Well, in, um, in my job as a teacher, as I look back at that line that I crossed, I see two things about how I managed to carry authority. One was to carry yourself with authority, you have to act with authority. That's the first thing I saw. And secondly, you had to understand certain things about yourself that build up your sense of authority. That was the case in the classroom. And actually, as we look at Jesus here, it's exactly the same for Jesus in this passage. So let's look, ask those two questions then. How does Jesus act with authority? Is this sense of authority a facade that he managed to put on? It's just a superficial thing. No, it's not. There are actions behind it, some public, some private. And there are three, I think, we can pick out pretty quickly here. The first is this. Jesus looks like he has authority because he acts with authority in resisting temptation. That's the first thing. Now you might think, where does that come from in verse 32? I, think, I thought we were going forward, not back. We've got to, with any passage, look at the context. And the context here, very, very, uh, very uh, early and near to this passage, at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness, the devil comes, tempts him. And what's happening in the desert? Well, it's very clearly a battle of authority. That's what's happening in the wilderness. For, uh, Luke 4, verses 5 to 7, that's what it says. Then the devil took him up, And revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you will worship me. The devil's there and he lays out, here's my authority. I have authority over all these kingdoms. I'll give it to you. He stands, he he puts his cards on the table. But we know what happens in that story. At the end of the exchange, Jesus leaves very clearly the one on, with the upper hand, basically sending the devil packing. Yeah, the devil lays out his authority, but he's come up against one with more authority. When the crowd saw this authoritative teacher, they saw a man who had learnt to exercise authority over sin and temptation in his life. That's the first uh, way Jesus acted with authority. But what then? Well, let's pick up where we left off in verse 33 of chapter 4. This is what it says. Once when he was in the synagogue... A man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting at Jesus, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. 
Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess! Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's house, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God! But because they knew who he was, that he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. So, first of all, Jesus had acted with tempt, uh, to resist temptation. That was a private thing. The crowds hadn't seen that. At this point, it becomes a little more obvious. When, for example, in verse 36, we see almost a rephrasing of verse 32. It says, Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess! If you'd ask them then, well, what do you mean authority? Now, that they can give you tangible demonstration here. I mean, he talks to, what it says in the passage, an evil spirit, shuts it up, kicks it out. That's an, an, a public exercise of authority. But notice, while that's the last time we have the authority we mentioned, the same theme is presented in the next two stories as well. So, for example, what could be a, a kind of mild healing tale of, uh, of uh, Peter's mum, bless her, is lying in bed with a fever. And it, it, Jesus could have been presented here like a bit of a Florence Nightingale coming in, holding her hand. It's going to be okay. Can I give you a little prayer, Lord Healer? Oh, she's better. Great. And then it says, and she got up and waited on him. I like that. That bit's good. I like that bit. Anyway, um, <laughs> but um, it could have been presented like that. It's not presented like that at all. This is how it's presented. Uh, verse... Um, I can't remember which verse it is. I've just got it written here. It says, he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. He didn't pray, hand on the head. He rebuked it. It's exactly the same word as is used in verse 38 when Jesus, again, very deliberately commands an evil spirit to go. Now, what we have here then, Jesus, what lies behind his, his carrying himself with authority? Well, yeah, he resists temptation, his private life, and in public, he is authoritatively doing miracles. Now, before I go on to the third thing he does authoritatively in this passage, we, need to, we do need to stop here. I realise the thorny issue of exorcism has come into the sermon, which is not something that's normal to our everyday life. Let's just pause and let's just think about this for a second, because I don't want you to be going off in your mind for the rest of the talk on it. Now, uh, let's face it, this is odd. This is an odd thing, and we don't see as much of this nowadays as we would in the New Testament of the Bible. And I think for many of us... Um, when we t- says possessed by a demon, it's, we would think more about fictional and maybe films and things like that as our, as our image of that, spinning heads and people puking everywhere and all of that sort of thing, if you've had the misfortune to watch those sort of films. Um, well, that's not what Jesus is talking about here from the imaginative world. He's talking about something that was accepted as very, very real and very, just a fundamental fact about life then. And we've got to understand the biblical teaching that lies behind this, because this is strange here. But the Bible teaches clearly that there is an invisible world out there. Now, it should come as no surprise to you, as obviously that's the case, because God would be in that kind of invisible world. He obviously does things we can see, and he came down as his son, but he's largely invisible to us. But the Bible also talks about a level of being 
uh, that would be uh, more powerful than humans, but still created by God, that would be angels and demons that are very, very real, although we can't see them. And those beings, the, the Bible would say, all the way through have an effect upon natural, visible reality, positive and negative. And in here, we've got a case in this story, we've got a case of a number of occasions where uh, evil spirits, evil demonic powers, invisible beings are interfering and manipulating and causing trouble to people's lives, holding them in bondage and oppression. Now, at this point, someone, many people jump to conclusions. They, they'd say, oh, well, we've got a demon here being rebuked. We've got a fever being rebuked. Therefore, Every illness is demonic, and we should just be saying, oh, you've got a cold. It's the demon of cold. I cast you out, or something like that. Now, I don't think we have any biblical mandate for such a kind of certain correlation between illness and demonic activity. However, on exactly the opposite side, there could be occasion where the most simple physical illness has got a spiritual influence to it, but we, we, it's, we can't really draw that line. And actually, in some ways, the biblical teaching here is con- uh, conforming to some modern medical ideas of a holistic approach to illness and sickness. In the, it's understood more and more, I think, um, that when someone comes sick to the doctors, it's not just going to be physical. It could well be emotional as well. If you fix the emotional problem, sometimes the physical problem goes. All the Bible does is it throws another factor into the pot and says it could be physical, could be emotional, also overlapping those. It could be spiritual as well. Now, with all that said and done, within our calling as Christians is the responsibility then to free people from these harmful, evil powers that affect them. Now, let's be clear. We're not meant to be looking for demons under every rock. We are not ghostbusters, okay? However, (laughs) there's something moved. Ah! Um, (laughs) We're not ghostbusters. But um, if something pops up, if things move and go bump in the night, no. If you come face to face with uh, something that feels like this in other people, or I tell you what, in yourself, we come head on to it. Do you know that we can be, evil forces can have a go at us. Talks in in Ephesians about the devil getting a foothold in believers' lives. Well, if we come across this stuff, there's something here, what do we do? We meet it head on with authority as Jesus did. And that is another reason why this topic is so important. So let's go from that aside. Let's go to the third point. Jesus acted with authority in resisting temptation, in doing miracles, and thirdly, in not uh, following other people's agendas. Verse 42, let's pick it up from there. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Jesus did not just show his authority over shadowy demonic forces uh, or over sickness. He did that over people as well. You might think, oh, is it about authority, about bossing people about? Well, no, he didn't boss people about at all. How did he do it? Well, he did it like this. He didn't let them set his agenda for him. Just think about this for a second. How easy would it have been for Jesus to give in to this? He'd just been to Nazareth. It didn't go well in Nazareth. If at the end of a preaching job, the crowd tries to kill you, General Preaching School 101, that's bad. That's not good. It hasn't gone well. Not positive feedback for you here. Um, Then he goes along to Capernaum. Opposite experience. It says, they beg him not to leave them. After such rejection, such adulation would have been incredibly seductive. 
Well, is Jesus swayed? No way is he swayed. He doesn't give in to their agenda. The focus and purpose of Jesus, we just read it here. It's astonishing. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too. It's an authoritative action. So Jesus then was not just some charismatic guy who was born with a, with a, wink, a twinkle in his eye and could get the crowds hung on every word. No, he carried an air of authority because he acted with authority in his life, in resisting temptation, doing miracles, and not having his agenda set for him, but living a purposeful and focused life. Here's our first application here. If you want to reign in life and carry yourself with any sort of air of authority... You have to act with authority in your life. It's not something you're born with. You learn it. You learn to act like this. You learn to carry it through your actions. I'd encourage you, step out authoritatively in your actions. Resist temptation. Declare war on these things. I'm going for this. I'm acting like this. Interesting, looking, I I don't know if others can uh, think of this way, exercising authority in the workplace or in the home, you learn it. So the first time you go, you, you do it, oh, I made a bit of a blunder. Well, you come back and you do it again. You learn how to act with authority properly, how to not go too far one way, not to go too far the other way. Well, we do exactly the same. I'm resisting temptation. I'm stepping out and praying for the sick. I'm, I'm trying my hardest to live a purposeful, focused life. And yeah, I love people, but I don't let everyone's needs set my agenda. I know what I'm called to do. Now, if I was to finish at that point, there's a, there is some application for us there, but I've really just p- pushed the question back a bit because I might say, well, how do we carry ourselves with authority? Well, act with authority. The question is obviously going to be, well, <laughs> how? I mean, these are hard things you're, as- you're asking us to do, uh, Jolly, and the Bible is asking us to do. And so, well, let's look at what lay behind now Jesus' even actions of authority. Because lying behind these authoritative actions was an understanding about himself that underpinned his authority. And as you'll see, is very, very relevant to us today. So what was the understanding Jesus has? We're going to look at these three points and then we're going to wrap up. Firstly, this. Jesus understood who he was. That's the first thing. He understood his identity. Understanding your identity helps you exercise authority. Now, if if uh, anyone here has had, uh, been in a situation at work, for example, uh, where you have to exercise authority, you'll know it's very helpful in exercising that authority confidently that you know the limits and the scope and the extent of your authority. If you're fuzzy on what you have authority to actually do, you can't really exercise authority. And I see a, a few nods, but that would definitely be my experience. Well, Jesus was not fuzzy in any way on this one. He knew exactly who he was and exactly the authority he possessed. We've, we've looked at it at, at length in the last few weeks. Who was he? He was a son of God. He was sure on that. And he got that before any ministry started. It started, I am the son of God. And he understood what that meant regarding his authority. So what did Jesus understand about authority? Well, he saw who he was and he saw how he fitted into the bigger picture of authority. And this was the bigger picture. This is the story that Jesus understood. He understood that in the universe, there was one who had ultimate authority. God had ultimate and has ultimate authority. Just for who he is. 
It's not he wants to push his weight around. It's in himself he's authoritative because of his power, because of his creative ability that he has created everything that has been made infers authority over it. Jesus understood that. But he also understood that God shares his authority. So God makes the whole planet, that makes the universe, and then he goes to Adam and Eve, and he, what does he say to them in the garden? Does he say, right, defer to me on everything now. I'm in charge. I, I'm going to hold this quite tightly. <laughs> when you see what happens in the story, you might wonder what, whether he should have done that, but he doesn't. He's very open-handed. He says, right, okay, you have dominion over this garden, by extension the whole world. The other key word is stewardship. What's happening? He's delegating authority to uh, Adam and Eve, to humans over his creation. Now, again, if you've ever been delegated authority, you'll know there are times when you're told you have authority, when actually you've got to do something, and go, no, I didn't really mean you to do that. I just was kind of passing the time, you know, um, by, by telling you that. Was, is that what's going on here? Is, is this real authority? Well, we know it's real authority because of, of the terrible consequences of when they mess things up. If you have real authority and it's delegated you and you mess it up, well, then you, you are left to pick up the pieces. Well, what happens? Adam and Eve fall. And what, one of the worst things that happens at the fall is they then give their authority away to another. So the devil comes on the basis of authority and says, um, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. Why does Eve eat the, the fruit? Well, because she thinks, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't want him bossing me about. I don't want that authority. We can do this. We should be in charge. So they rejected the authority of the ultimate authority. And, and tragically, because human beings, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we do not have the capacity to be independent entities. We all think we are. Yes, we're in charge. No, we're not. <laughs> we, we can't do that. So what ended up happening was they thought we were in charge. All they did was handed the authority over to another, to the one who'd tempted them. So then when we look in the New Testament and we ask a question that I mean, it might seem very non-controversial. If I said, who rules this world now? Yeah, well, God does. Jesus didn't agree. John 12, 31. He refers to the ruler of this world. I'm not talking about God. He's talking about the devil as the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Paul goes even further. He calls the devil the God of this world. Well, how did that happen? Well, we gave him the authority. God delegated us real authority. We gave it to Satan. But what happens when Jesus comes is he comes to take the power back from the enemy. And we see this in the temptation story. The devil, there he is. He says, look, I have, I've been given authority over it all. That's what we just said. But he then comes slap bang against one who is not going to budge. And as Jesus lives his life and dies on the cross, we see he finally finishes the job rescinding the devil's authority. Colossians 2.15, amazing verse. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's got it back. And by his resurrection, crushing death, we've already sung about it, he could the, ascend, the resurrected Jesus can stand there and say, at the end of his, just before he goes back to heaven, all authority in heaven, well that was no question from the start, but wait, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's taken it back. But what does he then say? Straight away, what does he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'll, I'll throw it out. What does he say? What's the next bit? 
No, not quite. He commissions. It's the commission. It's the great commission. Good try, though, Helen. I like that. Uh, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. What's he doing? This is what he's doing. He's saying, I'm not going to operate on a once bitten, twice shy policy of delegation of authority. Yeah, I delegate to humans last time. Didn't work at all. But God's now not saying, right, plan B, forget that, let's do it differently. No, it's the minute the authority is recognized, have it, go. I give it back to you as my children. He's delegating us authority once again. We, by implication now, have the authority of the ultimate authority of the universe given to us. But I'm not a leader. I don't don't care. He's given it to you. Go make disciples of all nations. It's not for leaders. It's for all of us. Listen, in your battles against sin, you must understand the authority that you've been given. You've got to understand it or the devil will push you over. Romans 6, Paul argues at length, he uses the phrase of of why we are no longer a slave to sin. It's authority. Because this is a verse, and I think this is a promise that we need to dwell on more. Romans 6, 14. Sin shall not be your master. You might have some promises that you dwell on regularly. What about this one? Sin shall not be your master. I want us to say it together. I, this verse is a promise. I want to bed it into your fight with sin. Okay, Romans 6.14. Sin shall not be your master. When the devil comes with temptation and condemnation, he usually says, no, no, you have no choice here. You, you must follow me because you're stuck. And actually, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of big guy around here. I tell people what to do. No, no, resist the devil and he will flee from you, James says in James 4, 7. How? Well, it starts by understanding the devil and sin have absolutely no claim over us. Sin shall not be your master. We understand who we are. Jesus understood who he was. Second thing Jesus understood was the power at his disposal. Again, referring back to my, my teaching career, it was important as a teacher to understand my ability. That was important, to have a level of confidence in my expertise. But as regards exercising authority, it was much more important to understand the power that lay outside of myself and that was at disposal if I needed it. So always, the thought in my head was, look, if I tell this beautiful little chap here, Please stop doing that without the please, maybe, because I'm trying to exercise my authority. Although you can still be polite, but anyway, that's another matter altogether. Um, I said, and he goes, no, what are you going to do about it? Or something like that. That was very stereotypical. That didn't really happen. But anyway, um, what would I do? What could I do? Well, I found out quite soon there was something you could do. I could say, right, then I'll get someone who can make you do it. I might not be able to. Head a department in. Uh, deputy head in something like that and understanding there was a power outside of myself that would exercise authority even when I was out of my depth that was very very important for me I could okay I, I know what I'm doing here now interestingly with Jesus you would never expect him to be needing something like this you never expect Jesus to be out of his depth and needing backup call for backup help me but he did uh, Luke 4.14, the beginning of uh, the passage Jonathan spoke on last week. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of his intrinsic godness. No, that's not what it says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Question. Why did Jesus operate in the power of the Spirit 
and not just his own power. I mean, he's the son of God. He didn't, you could argue, he doesn't need any power to back him up. But over and over again, it says, the Spirit came. Elsewhere, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. No, he's modeling something for us. That's why I think one of the reasons why this is the case, he models us to show us, look, this is how you should live. He emptied himself. He, he tied his hands behind his back. He said, I'm only going to operate in the power of the Spirit. And I'm going to call in the Spirit here. And it says, uh, just a little later, the power of the Spirit was present to heal. Jesus was calling for backup, and backup was coming, and the power that he called on was healing people. Listen, we can apply this very directly to us. You have authority to heal the sick. Did you know that? Your line manager has given you permission to heal sick people. Be liberated by that. In fact, just to say, it might not be just permission. That could well be in your job description, actually, reading the New Testament. You've got permission. But our response then may well be, I'm not sure I can do that. I mean, what happens if I get my words wrong? What happens if I kind of uh, just blunder in and offend people? Well, actually, don't worry, because the power does not come from you. It's from the Spirit. And the Spirit will back you up. He comes through. That's what he's doing. God does not mind us interrupting him and calling on his power to come into situations. He, he does not mind us. Uh, the, the Spirit does not see us as a pest or a distraction. No, the Spirit loves it when we get ourselves out of our depth. When we realize, uh-oh, if it's not for God now, I can't do this. I cannot make this kid do what I want to do. I, I remember feeling like that, but wait a minute, here comes someone who can. And now they are doing it, which is exactly the same with us. The Spirit wants you out of your depth. I'm praying now, look, God, if you're not here, I'm in real trouble. Yeah, this is when I come. Spirit of God comes, and he backs up our authoritative action. Now, there is a level of mystery here. And I can use illustrations to help us, but ultimately we, we don't ex- know why at times the Spirit doesn't heal everyone. However, for me, I know that often one of the reasons is I am not pressing through with any level of authority at all because I'm not aware of the power, the raw power of the Spirit. He's like he's waiting at all going, call me in, call me in, call me in. But no, I'm just like, oh, well, you know, it's God's will, isn't it? No, the Spirit wants us to get him involved. He wants us to call on him. If someone doesn't get healed, we go home. We call him, we ask, Holy Spirit, go and finish the job. We step out in, a, in miracles when we understand the power that is available to us. It affects the way we carry ourselves. And finally, Jesus understood why he was sent. He understood why he was alive. Again, I, I imagine this is the same in any workplace, but you need to know why you're employed. You need to know what your objectives and targets are in your job for you to know how to carry yourself with confidence at work. For me, starting off as teaching, it was like, why am I here? One day it would be like glorified babysitting. I just need to make sure no one pokes anyone's eye out today. That's my job. That's hopefully what's going to happen, okay? On other days, it would be completely the other way, and it would be, I've got to make sure everyone is being very polite, looking perfect, and we're going to graduate from Cambridge University in a couple of years. And and the, the general kind of sense of, I have no idea what I'm meant to be doing, did not help me carry myself with authority. When someone sat me down and said, no, 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 get rid of the blur. This is what you're employed to do. Focus on this class, this exam class here. I want you to aim for this. I want you to go uh, for the students who are at this level. That's your target. That's success for you. Suddenly I was like, oh. 
So I can let that go. That doesn't matter so much. This is where I'm going. Authority comes out of that. Jesus was completely the same. When he taught with authority, it was the authority of someone who knew exactly what his priorities were. They are in the passage we've just read. The Capernaums come to him, stay with us. He says this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too. Why? Because that is why I was sent. That's why he wasn't a slave to other people's agendas. No, Jesus set the agenda and forged ahead because he knew why he was alive. Can I ask you, do you know why you're alive? Do you know why it was? When you were, if you're a Christian, when you were baptized, they actually bothered pulling you out of the baptism pool. Because it's quite a tempting offer. Heaven, brilliant. And why are we still here? I'll tell you why we're still here. It's again, very nice, easy application. It's exactly the same reason as Jesus was here. And we've, it's the passage we've already mentioned. I've already mentioned, say, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Here is your job description right here. It's never changed. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are not meant to meander through our Christian lives, wondering, oh, I'm meant to kind of glorify God somewhere, somehow, probably. Now we're on a very specific mission to bring the good news of Jesus to people who don't know it. It should define everything we are and everything that we do. But when you understand that, then when things get tough, when crowds come and try to push you off a cliff, metaphorically, I did literally for Jesus, you say, wait a minute, I know why I'm here, and you walk through the crowd. And when the crowds come and say, oh, come over here, there's a really good opportunity, this, this job's been presented to you over here, it's a, it's a great promotion, but actually, no, wait, it doesn't further the gospel, I'm going here. It's we've got to know why we're here, why we're alive. So let's conclude. We're, we're called to reign in life. I want to really to understand this. We are called to reign in life. And we, that means we've got to learn to carry ourselves with spiritual authority. Now, we're not called to be arrogant. We're not called to be driven. But to do this, it's a tricky one. How do we do it? Well, I think firstly, we start stepping out in authority. Don't be a pushover to the devil in your battles against sin, please. In other things, you go, we, we, we act with authority. And understand who you are, you're one delegated the authority of God, why you're here to preach the gospel, and also the power that is at your disposal, the Holy Spirit. And to finish, the final thing I'm going to say today is I want to address a group that I've not talked to hardly at all in this talk. Uh, but if you're not a Christian here today, um, I guess I need to, to clarify, because I, I don't mean that every human being has the authority of Jesus. With him. Now, these are the people who, who follow Jesus. He gave his authority to those who followed him. And uh, if you're not a Christian, I want to end by simply inviting you to come under the authority of Jesus. You might not be very fond of authority. I would suggest that is less to do with authority than with the way that that authority has been handled, probably. But also, it has to do with the fact that in each of us, our fallen nature is, is anti-authority, because it's anti-God. And there's a good authority in this universe. And he calls for your uh, following of him. And actually, it's not a choice between yourself and him, 
because we cannot be independent. Jesus, looking for an, an image of human beings among the animal kingdom, did not choose the mighty lion or the wonderful eagle. No, he said we were sheep. Sheep who needed a shepherd. It's not very complimentary, really. Sheep will follow anything. It's like shepherd, hill walker, tree. It looks like a shepherd, I'll follow that. I mean, that's who we are. We, we, we follow as part of our nature. As a human, either you are following now an authority who wants to crush you, enslave you, and will trick you, you're independent while he does it, or you follow Jesus. That's the choice that's open to us. And I want to uh, ask you today, to consider this other master who's not harsh and domineering, but he's kind, he motivates us to action, and he actually shares his authority with us. I'd urge you to put yourself under his authority today.